0: If you have ever thought about buying a piece of land, starting a unique short-term rental business, starting a glamping business, getting a yurt, tent, dome, A-frame, off-grid cabin, tiny home, any of those things, and renting it out on Airbnb, this is the video for you. In today's video, I go through how I went from having a regular nine to five to quitting my job and making over 5,000 a month off of one unique short-term rental. I break it all down exactly how I did it, and I also give advice, tips, and tricks on how you can do it too. I did not grow up with a silver spoon. I did not have any secret leg ups. Both of my parents are Haitian immigrants that came to America, and I just worked my butt off, and in today's video, I'm gonna tell you how you can get there. I mean, I really break it all down. How to buy land, how to start a glamping business, how to save money to start a unique short-term rental business, how much you'll need. And I also even talk about the type of people who will be successful and the ones that are destined to fail. This isn't the type of video for you. All I ask is that in today's video, if you learn one thing, leave me a comment down below. It can say anything. I am just trying to fight back the YouTube algorithm that actually hates these long form, boring, educational types of content. With that being said, I hope you guys appreciate my honesty about my failures in today's video, and I hope you guys will learn something from it. I didn't start trying to make a glamping business, I really started with the intention to buy land and have a place to go to myself. I was a digital marketer working at a startup in New York City and I just wanted to have something for myself that I could get away to and run away to just because I was working like 60 hour weeks and I just wanted to have my own thing. And then I realized how expensive that whole thing was. And then I realized also that there's like taxes and all of that other stuff. So that's when I started realizing like, oh, you know what? On top of that, I most likely should rent it out when I'm not there and try to make a little bit of extra money.
1: So you started off as a way to escape like it it wasn't you weren't even thinking about trying to make it didn't start off as something that you wanted to make money on. No, but Later on, you found, oh, it's just sitting there. Might as well make some extra cash. Is that what you're saying?
0: Absolutely, because before I purchased my land, I was already on Airbnb. So I had an apartment in New York City. It was actually up in Harlem, and it was great except for the fact if you stay there for like two, three, four, five days at a time, that's when you start like realizing how much the place wasn't that great. Like there was a lot of terrible things where like the landlord wouldn't fix certain things and the shower would kind of squeak at night and just a random little annoying things. So I tried to break my lease They immediately, even though they never contacted me, every time I would reach out for a problem, all of a sudden they told me, "Hey, nope." They they finally got back to me and said, "No, you can't break your lease. You're stuck here." So then I actually started putting it on Airbnb, and at that time, like if you're staying there for two to three nights, it really isn't that bad. Mm. So and people actually loved it because it's a highly populated, like a highly traveled area. So I put the apartment that I was staying with on Airbnb, and it kind of made like. I forget, but it was actually making like a ton of money, was fully booked out. I kept having to jack my prices up. I did the thing that a lot of people do, where I listened to Airbnb and let it do my pricing for a little bit of a while. So my prices were way too low. And that thing went gangbusters. And that was like my first taste of short-term rentals. And it like I remember I was in meetings at my office and like people were contacting me. Like my phone was just buzzing. Like, I remember one time I even had to run out of a meeting. To go and like answer some calls like hey i'm sorry like what do you need about uh, people staying at my short-term rental my apartment in harlem and that's where i realized like oh snap there's there's something going on here so i accidentally started an airbnb i accidentally got into short term rentals and i also accidentally got into glamping and starting a glamping business
1: yeah and i'm guessing during that time on airbnb Mm -hmm. you found a little bit about yourself where i was you hey i actually do like hospitality oh yeah i i am good at hospitality Uh, i'm good at all the communicating the whole sort of ins and outs that hosts usually have a hard time with when they first start on airbnb um i'm guessing that had a lot to do with your willingness to be like hey this is (laughs) i'm good at this
0: yeah absolutely because what so i was a director of digital marketing at a tech startup i think at the time out I was probably like junior marketing manager i forget my title when i was first started on airbnb but i noticed that there's a lot of like friction and like talking points with the guest so my whole thing was how can i automate that like i was already doing a lot of marketing automation at work and airbnb already has tools in place on the platform so i would just like have my i remember one night i had cracked a couple beers and i asked myself what questions will people ask me about staying in my apartment in harlem so i just answered all of those questions and i uploaded them to airbnb so that way the second anyone would reach out to me this is how i got good like i was stuck in business meetings and i would look at my phone like pull it out someone's up there talking about tps reports and i'd be like oh okay they're asking like where's this or where's that and i would already have a response saved in airbnb to send to them so there was that aspect of it plus i'm just a people person like It's so weird because like I don't consider myself one, but I just find talking to people easy and like understanding where they come from and like what they're really trying to get at. You know, sometimes someone might ask you one question, but in reality, they're they really want the answer to something else. So I just realized that I was good talking to people and enjoyed it. And it wasn't a burden for me. A quick story. I had a friend of mine. He started an Airbnb in uh, Brooklyn, New York and he very quickly realized that it wasn't for him he just hated it he got so annoyed because people were asking him like the smallest of questions and like contacting him all the time and that's just par for the course i mean there's ways to mitigate that but he was like having to deal with that and i remember one time he had a closet and he was annoyed and he called me and he was just like are people this annoying usually and i'm like yo what happened and he was just like they keep asking me like they're annoyed that there's no hangers in the closet like you have a suitcase, right? Like, why do you need to unhang your stuff? You're only there for three days. Get in and get out." And I just told him like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why there's no hangers in the closet. And like, that's, that's par for the course. So at that moment, that's when I realized, oh, there's people who are naturally good at this and naturally have the ability and the disposition for it. And there's people who, you know, just don't. And that's kind of how I knew like, okay, this is something I can get into.
1: Yeah talk to me a little bit more about that the the difference between people who would do really good mm-hmm. in a, a glamping business mm-hmm. and people who they should kind of maybe not totally uh, prevent themselves from getting into it, but think twice, right? Yeah. Like if I'm this type of personality, yeah. then you should think twice yeah. about getting into the glamping business.
0: I'll say it a couple ways. If you are not a people person, and you don't, I don't mean you like are the coolest person at the party and you're bouncing around, but if you hate talking to humans, like in this day and age, a lot of people hate talking to people. If you don't enjoy that just naturally, it's not for you. It is for you, though, if you're the type of person. I remember one time I was in college and I got locked out of my apartment. I didn't have a dorm. I just had an apartment off campus or whatever, and I got locked out. After I got into my apartment, I went to Home Depot and I made four copies of my key. And I was like, I am never getting locked out again. So if that's the type of person that you are, where if something happens like negative and you instantly think of a way to make it never happen again, you will soar on airbnb you will show like soar with short-term rentals because it's all about fixing those little issues and if you can do that a hundred times over if you could put the kitchen utensils in an easier place for the guest if you can make the check-in process easier if you can make the process of them leaving you a good review after they stay at your space easier those are the type of things that'll make you do good um and then also there's the small things you know if you have a good Taste for design, and you have an eye for that, or you know someone that does. Those things are helpful. If you're a builder, that's going to be really helpful if you want to get into unique short-term rentals, which I highly recommend. Um, you know, there's people from different professions that would make the most sense for sure. But I really think that almost anybody can do it if they choose to, like right. if it doesn't hurt you or pain you. To you know, interact with people and problem solve and that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, so that kind of goes to the idea of like disposition. I think you Mm use that word, Mm -hmm. where if you have the tendency and you're willing to go uh, down that route and you're willing to kind of iterate on processes and be okay with failing a couple times and, and learning from those mistakes and keep going yeah. down that route then you'll be fine yeah but if you don't have that mindset of, of a like sort of a growth mindset yeah. or, or sort of that iterative mindset you might be sort of setting yourself up for failure almost you will
0: absolutely hate it because you're just gonna get so annoyed like how dare this person i, I there's sometimes where people say how dare this person ask me for this or that in my space Like, they're a guest in my home. And I'm just like, look, if they paid you to stay there, they're no longer a guest. It's their space for that time being. That's, you know, I I think that not a lot of people think that, and some people might disagree, but that's kind of how I feel. And that's how you go from, like, good to great. And if you also just have, like, the heart for hospitality, a lot of people will get into it because they're like, I have a cool space, or I want to make money. And those are all great, you know? And for me personally, I want to bring people closer to nature, city folk into nature. Like, it's one of the reasons I do it but if you don't have that hospitality heart which is like a giving heart which is the let me check on that table heart let me refill their mountain dew before they ask me to if you don't have that heart it's going to be difficult you're going to be dead in the water or you need to partner with somebody who does
1: yeah so i kind of want to talk about um how like the financials of it so how did you? get uh, the capital to mm-hmm. get into the business, mm-hmm. and how do you get the capital to maintain your business and do the things that you want to do to improve your business?
0: Yeah, so my glampsite site and what I have going on is pretty unique, where I bootstrap the whole thing. For those not in the VC tech world or whatever, that means you just pay for it your goddamn self. I don't know why there's always these like weird, fun terms that people like to use, technical jargon. I basically paid for everything um i didn't take out one single loan i didn't um borrow any money i don't owe anything from for whatever so and i say that first off let me say i don't come from wealth like my parents are immigrants from haiti um i didn't know anybody in the space like there was no there's no secret leg up to how i did it what i did do is though I had a goal and I was working again at that job in New York City um, and I just saved every dollar like every dollar. I was just saving up, saving up, knowing that this is my long term goal that I'm working towards. So every dollar that I didn't have to spend went towards that. So that first Airbnb in Harlem, I was just saving my money there i also was like living below my means and i was just pocketing cash pocketing cash pocketing cash so then when it was time to buy my land i bought that outright when it was time to buy the cabin kit that i purchased i bought that outright and i've been bootstrapping everything throughout the entirety of it that's not to say that's the easiest path like there are funding options that are they're few and far between um but i mean shit. i'll be honest Put it on your credit card. Like, if you have a high limit and you know what you're doing and you can be smart, you can do that. Or you can go get like a business loan. You can do that. I just knew when I first started, I was in like my mid 20s, and I knew I didn't trust myself getting a giant loan or having like 80,000 of someone else's money in my bank account. Mm. I mean, luckily, you know, gladly, my cabin, you know, everything that I did didn't cost 80,000. But I just wouldn't trust it. I, I was too scared.
1: So how do you, when you were kind of stacking up your mm-hmm. cash, uh, how do you know when is the right time to pull the trigger, so to speak? Like yeah. you could, I mean, there's not a limit to how much you can save, right? Like you say, like, hey, I want to wait until I save up a million dollars and then I'm going to start my business. But you might be, I don't know, like way older. Yeah. Um. So how do you know when to start and when's the right time? Because you also don't want to. Um, prohibit, pr- prevent yourself from doing the right things mm-hmm. and, and having enough money to make the right decisions at the right time.
0: Yeah, so I don't think there's ever a right time to start. You will always find something that will hold you back from starting. Yeah. And what in reality is just fear. You, you don't wanna fail and you can't fail unless you start. So most people just hold themselves back. And the funnest part of all of this is the ideation. Like when you're, oh, I'm envisioning this and I'm this is gonna be so great. Thinking, yeah. that is, that's the fun part. Um, so I think a lot of people honestly just get stuck there and die there. So for me, um, I just started, I okay. saved up, I think I saved up maybe 40 to 50 grand at the beginning. Again, I'm not saying that to flex or anything like that. That was like all I had, right? So i put everything into it and rolled the dice um, and I just started by starting. I just bought the land like I'm uh, working on starting a mastermind group for people who are interested in starting unique short term rentals and glamping businesses. Um, And one of the things that I'm going to ask everybody is what is your big long term goal and what is the smallest thing you can do to get started towards it? Is it just writing somebody an email? Is it like getting out of your house and driving down to this place and learning about this or doing that? The smallest thing that you can do is the thing like that's what I think you should do. You should just start. Now, I don't say that to say that you shouldn't plan or have a goal in mind and and know where you're going. But I do think that a lot of people get stuck there often. So like move quickly, fail quickly. Um, and try to fail for as cheap as possible. Cause I know I, I bought a bunch of stuff that I didn't need at the beginning, but um, yeah, just just get out there and start doing it. And I think that you'll learn a lot just because I learned so much from starting my clamping business. I learned so much from starting my short-term rental, my Airbnb up in Harlem. And then, you know, before I bought my land, you know, I was, I had other things going on, you know, uh, you know this, I had Airbnbs in New York City, Connecticut, I feel like there's more New York City. Oh, Atlanta,
1: Mm.
0: New York City, Atlanta, Connecticut. Like, you know, I I learned a lot. So that's why for me personally, I'll be honest, I didn't write a big document. I mean, I do those smart things now, but I just started. I just bought my land and I just started driving upstate because I live in New York City and I just started driving two, three hours every weekend. And I would just drive around from town to town looking for a place to start my glamping business. Yo, what's up, this is JS Brons. We're gonna get right back into today's conversation. I just quickly wanted to talk to you about the Keep It Tiny Club. If you are serious about starting a unique short-term rental or glamping business this year, then this is the club for you. If you're interested in networking with other people who are serious, online live events, Q and A's with industry experts, sharing information, and hey, maybe even having a direct one-on-one conversation with me, then check out www keepittinyclub.com to learn more, but hurry up because we're having a ton of virtual online live events happening all the time, and I don't want you guys to miss out.
1: Yeah, I still remember the time you pulled up, I forget what site it was, but the first listing you ever saw of mm-hmm. a land. I don't and remember it was yeah, It was it so like. bizarre. It was like, because you're used to seeing like, like Realtor.com, you know, Zillow, all these listings, but yeah. it was just it was a picture of grass, right? <laughs> and you're like, hey, what do you think about this? And and contact you started contacting different realtors. Yeah. And um, I kind of wanted to start uh go a little bit deeper there. Yeah. Like your land buying process. Like how was that like?
0: Yeah. So it is difficult because I remember it was like the largest purchase I ever made. Yep. Um and also I didn't know anything. I didn't know where to start, I didn't know what I was doing but i just started so i started calling realtors um and just talking to them some people laughed me off the phone some people i could tell were treating a little bit of ageism a little bit of ageism there so some people were like this kid doesn't know he's not serious he's not this he's not that but then some smart people realized that hey this kid got a pocket full of money and he's trying to spend it (laughs) so then i started having to deal with the the reverse of that people sending me just junk land um but it's also difficult too because you have to be able to envision what you want to do with the land, right? So you're right, like, I remember when I was first starting to look at land, it's just it feels like you're just walking around an overgrown park. Like, there's, there's no, like, it's, it's hard to, like, really get a, a grasp and an understanding of what makes one barren plot of land better than another. But once you get started and you see, like, 2030, it all starts formulating, like you you start understanding it in your head where it's just like, oh no, this land is off of a dirt road. So that means that in the winter when it snows, the town may or may not be the ones, like if it's on a private road or something like that, the town isn't in charge of plowing. So maybe that's not a good place to start because that means I would have to do it. And my guests who stay at my unique glamping business, they don't have four wheel cars. They have Mini Coopers. So it wouldn't be a good fit for them. Or I see another one and I say, hey, it has a pond in the middle of it, but that pond looks like it's overflowing. So maybe this place floods a little bit. And you just learn that from walking on multiple pieces of land. I used to, I went to Walmart and I bought like these boots and I would keep them in the back seat of my car. So anytime I pulled up to land, I would just take my shoes off, mm. take off my Nikes, my Yeezys, whatever I got going on. And then I would put on those like, $30 Walmart boots and start walking land. I remember there was some real estate agents who would drive up and like, we would get to like where the road is and they'd be like, okay, this is it. That's the land. And I said, okay, let's go walk it. And they'd be like, oh, oh, I mean, you can, if you want to, yeah. I'm like, what? That sounds crazy. So yeah, it's just really getting out there. And I think like that taught me a lot. Now I'm not saying don't do your research and learn, It is hard to find information about like buying land and starting glamping businesses, but it is out there. So definitely do that. But nothing will teach you more and faster than learning. There is a cost to that, which is like I remember I was like racking up mileage on my car, gas, all that type of stuff. But it was so worth it because then when I did find a piece of land that I purchased, it was uh, three, three and a half acres almost when i pulled up i said oh yeah this place is nice this place is nice i'm gonna like this because it didn't have too many trees that i would have to knock down it was pretty flat already so i the second i got there i knew where i would put the cabin and and everything i just could kind of see it and that just happens over time you just really have to start
1: yeah so you bought the land and it sat for a while. Mm-hmm. And then you bought the cabin kit,
0: yeah, yeah. Right? I bought I bought the land. Um, I'm really bad with time and years. It's but I bought the land pre-Covid or maybe like right at the beginning when yeah. we all thought we all were going to die. And I love how everyone pretends. like they were everyone thinks they're so cool. Like I wasn't nervous, whatever. Um, so yeah, I bought the land pre-covid or like right when Covid started. I think I started searching right before because my realtor had the mask on or whatever. So. Um, And then I just sat on the land. And the reason being is I'm bootstrapping everything. So let me go make some more money and then I can build on it. And I also, I did things a little weird. And I I spoke with the, uh, there's a really good conversation on YouTube. You guys could check it out, uh, where I chat with a a expert on zoning and buying Mm -hmm. land and building things. And what he told me is I did it a way that is a lot easier which is I didn't have a vision of what I wanted just yet. I, my only vision was I wanna build a cool, unique place for me to come stay at. And maybe if I'm not there, other people could pay to stay there. So that was it. He was letting me know that if I did know that I 100% wanted a dome, or I 200% wanted uh, to put a tiny house on wheels, you should know that before you start looking for land. So that way you can double check that it'll work from a zoning perspective. But if you're open like me, where I just want to find a cool piece of land in a good place, and I was like, whatever is legally allowed to be built here, that's what I'll do. So that's after I bought the land. Um, then I was figuring out what I was going to build. And also due to COVID, there was the crazy price hikes. There was no toilet paper, but uh, I wanted to build a tiny I wanted to put a tiny house on wheels on my land. But the company that I was gonna purchase from, and I had plans from purchasing from this company for years, but due to COVID, they had a restriction. Like, if I were to purchase it from them, I wouldn't get it for like 18 months. And I was like, bump that. Like, (laughs) I'm not waiting around for anybody. I got a pocket full of money. I gotta spend this. To be honest with you though, I regret that. I would have rather gotten the tiny house on wheels. And we can get into that a little later, but, that's why it took me so long i bought my land then i sat on it for a year and a half Mm. and then we started building the cabin i purchased a cabin kit from den outdoors um, and it was really cool it arrived like honestly it arrived from like the mail and like it came in and then we had to take it off piece by piece so they sent over like two thousand pieces i mean like the door frame windows the keys every little piece that i needed to build the cabin. People will tell you it's like building a big Lego set. It is 3000% harder than building a big Lego set, which is another thing I wish I would have known prior. Yeah. Like how difficult it was going to be. It was not a uh, me and a couple of buddies cracking a couple of beers and you know singing songs by the fire.
1: Yeah, the building process was pretty harrowing. I remember um I think the the other thing that we didn't understand fully was the cost of just like labor, right? Yeah. Like getting hotels and feeding, you know, the even if they're just your friends, like feeding them dinner, breakfast, yeah. like all of that kind of. Uh, and it's not like a one week, w- one weekend's worth of work. I think it spanned over. I want to say like three months, or I think maybe it was more than. I that? I think it was
0: about two months of work to get it done. But the funny part is it was only like seven business days. Like in terms of days actually building, it was only seven days because what would happen was is we would get there, we would start working, then we would realize we needed this specialty tool or that specialty tool and shut down work for the day, right? So that's what dragged it out so long. And then on top of that, though, you're right, where like, (laughs) so here's here's the first time I realized like, oh, fuck. Uh, Like so they brought the when the items arrived to build the cabin it was on like a giant truck bed like it was like two truck beds worth of just raw building materials and the guy pulls up and he's just like where do you want me to put it and i was like i i guess right there which was just a patch of grass yep. and he was like do you have a uh, a forklift and I was like, nah, like, this is raw land. Like, bro, I just spent $15,000 buying this land. You think I have money to rent a forklift for a day? Yep. So I paid him a couple hundred, like I just paid him and he and I, piece by piece, and I think there was over like two, 3000 pieces, every piece of wood down, and he we just lifted it ourselves. Yeah. Um, so that's when I realized that like, I might be in over my head, which I definitely was. Um So yeah, it was just really, really difficult, even just you're right, like paying my friends, um, then realizing that it was over we were in over our heads, and then paying uh like a random builder. and this guy was just like just that, a random builder. Yeah. like he he was a builder in his day job, yeah. and then he would come with like his family and his kids and like work on my cute little Lego set. Um, he would work on that like uh on the side.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw. Still... I remember, I forgot about that instance where you had to pay him to to carry. I think also the window mm-hmm. was just way more massive than I thought it was gonna be. And yeah, there's just so much of physical building and construction that we weren't really aware of uh, before getting into the project. Yeah, yeah. Um, and,
0: and to be honest, that's why I personally don't recommend cabin kits, which is what I did. My yeah. cabin was a kit. I purchased it from Dan Outdoors. It arrived, you know, it was, uh, I'll say, it's maybe like 70% as described or as sold because you know it does look great yeah. It does what i need it to do that last 30% was the ease of putting it together and like how everything's just going to flow so smoothly yep. it was also supposed to be laser cut which I, I don't doubt it was but every piece was supposed to fit smoothly
1: but it like, didn't no it
0: didn't like me and my builder would have to like you know, kind of push and pull and cut off some and sides, sand, it, yeah. sand a lot of stuff down and make it fit like a glove. Right. Also, it was just like much harder than it is. Like, so if you're getting a cabin kit and you think that you can put it together yourself, if you are not a builder, you cannot put it together yourself. Yeah, Just.
1: it's a great warning.
0: Yeah, like I know a lot of people are gonna say, I'm handy as hell, yeah. like, I don't care. You're gonna be in over your head because even the time it took, like we would have to put tarps on the materials yes when we weren't there to make sure it didn't rain on it and that type of stuff. So it was like, yeah, it was crazy difficult to build. And the other reason that I would have rather get the tiny house on wheels is there's no build process. The second that the tiny house on wheels pulls up to your land, it's good to go. You just have to hook it up to your septic system or your black water tank um, to you know get all that. But you could just start using it rather with the build process. It just stretches and Build, they always say this, it goes longer than you think it will, and it costs more than you think it will.
1: Right. So. But that comes with its own problems, like you mentioned, the septic system and all that, which mm-hmm. kind of goes to what I wanted to ask you about being off-grid. Yeah. So you started this cabin fully off-grid. Is mm-hmm. it still off-grid?
0: No, it is not. I had a dream of building what is called a mothership. Yeah. This is, again, like I was like pie in the sky. And for those that don't know, a mothership is a piece of land or a building or what have you that is self-sustainable. I wanted, you know, it to be completely off-grid. Um, I wanted the water to be rainwater coming out of the sky. I wanted the electricity to be solar. Um, I was looking at different waste options for you know number one and number two. And then over time, I realized just how difficult it would be, because here, my cabin is in upstate New York. it's in the Catskills, and um, we get all four seasons so with having all four seasons it gets really really hot in the summer and really really cold in the winter so just from a guest standpoint i was just like i have to get ac like at the excuse me at the very least i needed ac just because my cabin it's the back window is just all one big window but there's only a small little window that actually opens so it just got it was so hot in there, like I was baking, and also with the giant back window that looks so nice on Instagram and Airbnb, it would just let the sun come in, yeah. and I felt sometimes like I was a bug, like that, you know how kids like play with a uh,
1: microscopes?: Yeah, the microscopes yeah.
0: and like burn bugs. I felt <laughs> like I was the bug like, yeah. so um that's why I was just like, I need AC. What does it take for me to get AC here? So I started looking into all of the options with yeah. solar, and I realized. That for me to get AC at the cabin, because with heat, you could figure out heat. You could burn wood, like you can figure it out, right? But with AC, for me to get enough electricity from the sun, from 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 the thing that God gave us to give us electricity, it would cost me so much that I might as well get the upside of putting in like sure power. So I actually ended up paying, I believe, about 10 to 13 grand extra like afterwards, like I think the cabin was already up on Airbnb or maybe it was like right about to go up on Airbnb, but it was like one of the last big things that I ended up paying for out of pocket. And again, I paid for everything out of pocket and I'm not a high earner and all that type of stuff. I was just like constantly saving up for like this little thing of mine.
1: Yeah. So that was the last one, last sort of big purchase or big investment you put into this business. Yeah,
0: that and then the road.
1: Uh, the road yeah
0: yeah yeah the gravel road so i paid uh, i don't want to be mean uh but i paid a guy let me say that uh, a thousand bucks to fix my to to put in a gravel road for me and it, he was just some guy off the street uh i'll just say this he would scratch his necks and things like that like he was a little tweaky little yeah. so he was just like yeah i could do it no problem bro easy peasy yeah. and me not having people, like I'm a city boy through and through. So I've never dealt with gravel roads before. I don't know anybody who has. I didn't have that information readily available to me to realize that he was giving me a stupid, crazy price, a price so low that I should have known it's not gonna work out. Um, So I paid him a thousand dollars to do it. Of course, like the first time it rained, like the the road was trashed. So then I paid an extra five grand to somebody to do it the right way. Um, so yeah, like near the end of it all, that's like what 17 grand, yeah. like on top of everything to get started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of connects to the whole, um, the trouble you went through in finding the right people, mm-hmm. uh, talk me through kind of that process, right? Like you keep talking about how you find this, you know, day labor yeah. or this builder, or, you know, like, how did you find them?
0: Yeah. I think that people aren't as don't show as much ingenuity as they should. So I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anybody that lived in that town. I was on like Facebook marketplace. Um, I was talking to people at the local gas station. One of the best builders, and I still work with this guy to this day. I met him while I was like at the gas station. And um I had a a Mustang Maki at the time and they all were just like, What the hell is this EV Mustang, whatever? And I was just talking to them, right? And so now you have this like 20 some odd year old black guy who lives in New York City and these like 40 to 50 year old white rural guys. And we all were just talking about cars like men do, right? So like we were just chit-chatting about cars. And then I got in my car and I was leaving and I pulled away a little bit. Then I said to myself, wait a minute, you just made a connection here. So I drove back and I asked them, hey, does anybody here know anybody who, is, uh, who has, I forget the exact tool that is needed, but I think it was a tractor or something along those lines. Everything is just a tractor to me. Um, but I did some research, I knew what I did need, and I said, hey, I'm, you know, I need a road put in. I need to grab a road put in, does anybody know anybody? And all of them were just pointed down at this one guy. So he was the guy that I needed to talk to. And wow. I've been working with him ever since.
1: Hmm. Yeah. that's." fascinating um, yeah because I, I remember there were a lot of trial and errors mm-hmm. happening throughout sort of um, do you kind of calculate that cost into you know this the, the business like oh I'm gonna screw up a couple contractors yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna meet you know a couple yeah. you know, not so great contractors like do you do you kind of write that in your your budgeting process
0: so I call it the stupid tax <laughs> and you can't get away from it if you're just starting off. You're gonna pay the stupid tax. Yep. So, one way of paying it is like buying, like again, uh, ladies or fellas, or if you have a significant other who's very handy, if you're building something, you go to Home Depot two, three times. Yep. And every time you walk out of Home Depot, you say, I got what I needed, right? I, but you, you got the wrong paint, you yep. got the wrong this, you got the wrong that, and you can't return it because you already opened it and used some. That is the stupid tax. So, I kind of just factor that in. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I wanna chase my goal, I wanna chase my dream, I have to pay the stupid tax. Yep. I wanna say though, you know, that was four or five years ago, you don't have to do that anymore. Like That is literally the reason why I started Keep It Tiny, yeah. to make people not have to pay the stupid tax that I paid. Like I already yeah. paid it, you don't have to.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of value in just like learning from what other people went through and then just being like, oh, I'm gonna avoid those yeah, pitfalls. Absolutely. And then just go the straight, uh, straight and narrow. Yeah,
0: my barber when I was a kid, he would always say, each one, teach one.
1: Mm. So
0: at, once you learn something, you can pass it on to the next person and it doesn't cost you a thing. Yeah. So I always hate people who gatekeep information. Like I never wanna try to be that person. Right. And that's why I'm free with my information. And even the, the icky parts, like people don't talk about money. Mm. And I hate that because the only people who don't talk about money are rich people You notice that so like I'm not a rich person. So I do like I ask the price on things I want to know how much does it actually cost to do this or that Which is why I keep saying the numbers of how much each thing in my process was Because I want people to be able to like write that down. like, Oh, I didn't know it would cost this or that
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you kind of uh so you built it all, and then you put in the electricity, you put in the road, you launch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, there's a whole thing that goes behind lo- like launching and also maintaining the property and mm-hmm. running an Airbnb business. Yeah. Um, how did that go? Like, did you have to set up new processes, or just do the same thing that you did with your uh, the New York City Airbnb? <laughs> like, how did that go?
0: It's absolutely like running a one bedroom apartment in Harlem and running. A- three acres of land in the Catskills, yep. it's much different. And there's no like rule brick, there's no game plan for it. Yeah. So I kind of had to like stumble and learn it a lot. I mean, I remember at the beginning, so I got three acres of land. I've never cut grass before in my life, <laughs> but I saw like King of the Hill, like which is this TV show growing up that, you know, you get a push mower and you just start walking so here i am with a push mower that i just bought from best buy and i'm walking around and i'm like getting nowhere fast like it's three hours into me pushing this mower and i'm like all right i don't know what's going on so that's what i would tell people like the biggest tip or advice is what learn what the proper tool is for the job and get it if you want to do the job good You will need the proper tools. It's kind of like you know, if you want to get something done, go get the right person and do it. If you're going to do it yourself, learn what the proper tools are, and then implement that and go get that. So that's what I had to learn a lot, and then also try to build a team. So my team with my site, you know, I call them a team. I doubt they call themselves my team or a team, but what it is is like I have this uh, these two people who handle the cleaning. And I also have a handyman who does the grass, plows if it snows, okay. handles all of that type of stuff. So um, yeah, that's like my my duo, my tag team right there. And they essentially allow me to run my glamp site from two, three hours away.
1: Mm. Yeah, I guess like I'm I'm curious if uh you ran into any hardships throughout that process of setting it up. Like what are specific problems you ran into while you were trying to set up your team or, yeah. or or do any of the Airbnb stuff.
0: I mean, I remember when I ran out of money. So like mm-hmm. there was that because I bootstrapped it. You know, there was running out of money. Um, there was working with the wrong team. Like the only way to know if somebody's good is to put them in the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure, you could try to size them up prior, but, you know, so I would have cleaners who like wouldn't show up. Um, I remember one of the most difficult things for me was my cleaners who said they would do something, didn't, and I had a guest coming in soon, so I drove from New York City about three hours, went to my GLAM site, cleaned up the cabin for about 30, 40 minutes, got in my car, and drove back four hours, three hours back to New York. Yeah, like That is the determination, so to speak, but that is also the hardships that you will go through. Like. I always like really hope i don't make it sound easier than it is it's a very difficult thing it is a business you have to treat it as such but it is possible but yeah so like that's that's one of the hardships that i had to deal with like yeah there there was there was a ton Mm.
1: yeah yeah and kind of going back to the whole uh the the concept of buying the right tools i i think there there were times when we had a lot of those types of conversations where should we buy the hundred dollar thing mm-hmm. <laughs> to save us some money and just like hold us down for this specific problem. Mm-hmm. Or should we go all in and the $500 thing that we know is the right thing to buy, but it's really expensive. Yeah. How do you go about that sort of trade off process? Like, obviously, that's case by case. You, mm-hmm. you did different things in each uh, each case. But how did you determine what the right thing to do was at that time?
0: Yeah, you just have to go with your gut. Um, but I will say, don't be cheap but also don't get the thing that you don't need. So I'll say it like this. There was one time that I needed some leveler, levelers and leveling tools. And a buddy of mine who was helping me build the cabin saw this $600 like perfect leveler that like, it was like builder quality. And I remember thinking like, yo, this $60 one will work just fine. Like I don't need that. And he sat me down and was just like, yo, if you're trying to make it to the top, You don't need to be tight with your money. You need to get the best thing out there. So I think that a lot of people mess up with that, where they go overboard. Just because you have the money doesn't mean that you should spend it. So each time I individually had to think about, was it the right thing to do for me to spend that money? So each time, like that's how you kind of really have to map it out. And then also think of your current use case can it do the thing I need it to do right now? That is the thing that you need to focus on the most. I think a lot of times people will play around and think like, oh, in three years from now, I'm gonna build this or I'm gonna try to build that. So let me spend extra money. It's not worth it. Just focus on what you need to do because you're gonna have so many other big problems that are gonna come up in between. Yeah. So people think like, oh, I'm about to I remember when I first started, I was like, I'm gonna finish this cabin in like a week and then on to the next thing. What am I gonna build next? And it was like, bro, you need to focus on building this cabin first.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the 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 other thing that I really respect about you is that you don't cry over sunk costs or like spilled milk so i remember the time where like you were investing a lot of uh tools for off-grid stuff right the the solar system and um the port potty or not the porta potty but the the um the toilet system for the off-grid cabin and all those things like you know amount to, to a certain amount of money and then later on you decided hey the right thing to do i realized based on my experience is to put in electricity and uh-huh. make it fully on on-grid uh-huh. right uh-huh. um and you didn't really cry over like oh i didn't i spent like x amount of dollars uh-huh. on making it off-grid and what do i do with this should i sell it like you didn't really uh waste a lot of time thinking about the past decisions that you knew with the knowledge that you had at that time was the best decision to make um and and so i, I want to just call that out because i think that uh, that means a lot uh when it comes to your success at like with your business mm-hmm. um because you don't you can just move on like what's the next thing to do what's the what's the next best decision to make with the the information that i currently have
0: exactly yeah so for me the only place that you can go is forward mm-hmm. like there's you gain nothing from like stopping and like doing a retro and thinking about what just happened when you're in the moment yeah so for me it's deal with like a problem just arose don't think about pointing fingers don't think about what could i do don't beat yourself up yeah and believe in the fact that you made the right decision at the time with the information that you had now you know something else so now you but it's all about the next problem Mm -hmm. now if this happens i won't make this problem again so i think for me that's the biggest thing and then there's time for thinking about you know what could have been done better and that is after the fact That is once you're completely done, then you start asking yourself like, okay, I ran through this problem, that problem, and that shit storm. What did I do wrong? And like, how could it have been done better? Right. But yeah, like the because what was I going to do? I already spent $40,000. Yeah. So now I'm going to cry over a $200 thing that I bought that I don't need anymore. Right. Like, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, try to sell it on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> and move on with your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So I, I think I want to move on to sort of, um, where the cabin is now, mm-hmm. right, and where it's headed in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's where it needs to be, mm-hmm. or do you want to push it more? Where What's your sort of end goal with the, the cabin?
0: Yeah, I think when people start businesses or just get into any endeavor, there's two trains of thoughts. There's, you know, get it perfect right now and don't start till it's perfect. Yeah. And then there's, I'm going to slowly build it up to where I want it to be. And I went through the route of, I'm going to slowly build it up to where I want it to be, just because that's my personal philosophy with a lot of things. But on top of that, that is also what I was only able to, I didn't have a lot of money. Like, I'm saying these numbers, but like, it goes very fast after you buy a piece of land for $20,000, $15,000. Like, so, um, yeah. So for me personally, I, I love where the cabin is. Um, I was making very good money off of the cabin, you know, in the busy season. Um, but I definitely want to put in a lot of things. Um, one of the biggest things I want to put in is to lean is a, a hot tub. And I want to put in a hot tub to lean into that unique experience. Yep. This isn't something that you normally see at, you know, off grid or, or my cabin isn't off grid anymore. But like cabins in the woods, like having a hot tub and having this or that, like I want to lean more into the unique aspect of it. and like if i don't know my lawyers will probably kill me but like if i could do axe throwing like that'd be awesome yeah but i yeah i probably can't someone's going to try to kill their wife <laughs> that's how, that, yeah. that's what'll happen someone's yeah. going to try to kill their wife some wife is going to try to kill their husband exactly. no axe throwing definitely want some
1: solid liability insurance before you do yeah. anything yeah
0: which i don't have
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that we could talk about that as well like the the business side of things where you need to shore things up a bit more before you start expanding it Mm -hmm. um i guess i i wonder if that's also the reason why you don't really explicitly push your cabin on youtube or any other channels that you have
0: well so i Is that
1: reading into it a bit
0: no yeah so so there's a little bit of that there but for me the big reason why i don't post the link to my yeah cabin down below there's a couple reasons first off like you should see the hate messages i get like some wild comments like if you but you know if you put yourself into the public sphere that's gonna happen for sure um but on top of that i'm nervous that like someone is gonna try to like dox me or people are gonna i I record videos of me walking up and down my cabin yeah like on my youtube channel so like people will know where everything's at like this is where i store this and this is where i store that but then on top of that short-term rentals and you unique glamping businesses you really can't support it from hawaii like if you aren't within driving range of the catskill mountains then you're kind of not in my like i can't really promote my business to you like you would go to a glamp site i personally believe most people go to glamp sites one two three hours away from where they currently live yeah you don't like fly across the country to go stay in a tent in a state that you don't live in. Yeah. So that that's one reason why. And I also think um, a lot of just straight entrepreneurs get so focused on running up their numbers. I mostly want to run a good business. So yeah, I have a lot of people on YouTube who watch my content, but how many of them will truly convert to staying at my cabin? Yeah. Probably a small amount. Exactly. So for me, it's not worth the risk of having one of the people that leave me like, you know, racist or a holy comments yeah. to give them the ability to see where I am.
1: Uh, I searched Yeah, it. yeah. So it's a little bit too, uh, you feel like you're giving too much information for what, what could be very little upside. <laughs> essentially. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, and then also I promote it in channels that work for it. Make it yeah. Like if you wanted to sell skateboards, would you go into a bakery and say like, I'm selling skateboards outside. Or would you go to a skate park or a monster energy convention? I don't yeah. know, right? But like, so sell to the people who will actually purchase or use your product. I, I think a lot of people just like start from marketing wise, they just yell out loud. Yeah. And it, they think the, the more people that hear me, the better. And that isn't always the case. Like, wouldn't it be better to just talk to somebody or whisper to the yeah. right person? So I think a lot of people yell in a crowded room rather than find someone who's really interested in what you have going on yeah. and just talk to them. So that's how I
1: choose to market my businesses. Yeah, it's it's much more of like a targeted marketing. And and kind of aligns with your digital marketing experience. It's kind of like running Facebook ads to everyone in the world versus like, hey. Exactly. I'm, I'm targeting yeah. people who oh. live in New York or yeah. in the city. Go
0: find like a warm or hot lead. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. What would you kind of uh, try to get a sense of anyone who's trying to start a glamping business mm-hmm. and who's about like on the cusp and kind of like where you are, where they're stacking up cash, they're, they're mm-hmm. saving up to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one advice you would give them? Maybe a couple of advices, uh, but mm-hmm. anything you would say to these folks uh, before they start their glamping business?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, I would say don't be scared just start. I would say that you don't have to own land to start a glamping business. Um, I, a friend of mine, Nick, he has a glamp site called My Friend's Place, and I, that's like a really awesome name for a glamp site. You know, my, I'm going to My Friend's Place. He doesn't own the land. He partnered up with somebody who had land that was open to, you know, leasing it to him. Yeah. Um, so there's so many ways to start this. You don't have to go get a $100,000 loan mm-hmm. to get in the game um if you or a loved one have space in their backyard pitch a tent figure it out the worst that'll happen is you'll you know the town will tell you to stop yeah it doesn't kill you and that gives you a ton of experience so i would just say start that way also a couple years ago there wasn't a lot of information there was like not a lot of youtubers and like people in the space like readily giving game yeah i think that has changed now so i'm not just promoting keep it tiny but like just learn like Google or put on YouTube how to buy land, how to buy raw land, how to start a glamping business. You know, um, th- they're out there, you know, and, and look for the downsides. Like, uh, does owning land suck? Like, well, what, 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 what isn't good about those right. things? And just do a ton of your research. And there's ways to circumnavigate the stupid tax, which is, you know, now there's people that you can pay to get, you know, some of their time yep. and talk to those people. Um, you know, I'm launching the keep it tiny club. So it's just a small group of people that talk about starting unique short-term rentals and glamping businesses. And we share advice, we share tips. Um, we have a meeting coming up soon where everyone just goes around the room talking about some of their failures. Mm. And that way we all will learn from each other's failures. Yeah. So, hey, like if you paid the stupid tax, I shouldn't need to, you paid it for me, right? right? Cause we're friends, we're sharing information. So yeah, th- there's new channels available for you to learn and i will say it's not harder than it's not as hard as you think it is but it is very hard right <laughs> like like you're going to have to you know really work towards it it's not like starting an instagram page yeah. and like ooh and like influencers are coming to like take pictures at my cool cabin like absolutely not like yeah. so yeah you just start but have realistic expectations yeah. and be ready to punch fear in the face